Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to John chapter 14. We've been teaching for a number of weeks on uh, uh, the study of the spirit of man. And we've identified what the Bible says about man being made in the image of God. And we found that that specifically means that man is made a spirit being. We see that there, the scripture tells us that, uh, that there are three parts to man. He is a spirit. That's the eternal, the real part of man. He has a soul which is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And he lives in a body. Well, we went further and we saw that the Holy Ghost who indwells us comes to live on the inside of us when we're saved. And then we receive Him in a greater measure when we're filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit. Those are synonymous terms. That Spirit dwells within us. And, and as a result, the Spirit of God will lead us by our spirits. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, along with Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 16, tell us that the Holy Ghost leads us by, the, by our spirit, not by outward circumstances, not according to their feelings of the flesh or, or things that we think, but He leads us by our spirit. And that uh, uh, the, the number one way that He does lead us in our spirits is by the inward witness. And, and we've been talking, like I said, we've been talking for a number of weeks on the subject and we've talked about different ways that the Holy Ghost uh, uh, leads, uh, the inward witness, the inward voice. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, the Holy Ghost will lead us and, and provide guidance for us, the dreams and revelations and different things like that. And, you know, you can study this stuff and talk about it so much that uh, uh, you forget that He's the Holy Spirit and start looking at the technical side of things. You start looking at the techniques and, and, uh, and, and really forget that it's the greater one on the inside of you. So tonight I want to talk to you about our comforter. Now in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to His disciples and He's giving them instructions about things, how things will be after He leaves. They don't yet understand. This is the night that He's uh, betrayed and, and uh, taken. The crucifixion process begins where He's examined before the high priest and, and that type of thing. But Jesus is talking to His disciples at the Last Supper and they don't yet understand what's going on. They don't understand that, uh, that He's going to, to be killed and, and go away and, and that type of thing, even though He's trying to give them some information. But He says in John chapter 14, um, beginning in verse 16, He said, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Comforter that He might, may abide with you forever. Then He goes further and tells them who this uh, Comforter is, even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Now look with me also to verse 26 of chapter 14. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. So now we've got three names. Comforter, Spirit of Truth, and Holy Ghost. But the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now in chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus uses this term again, according to John's record. He says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Finally, in chapter 16, verse 7, uh, well, really, verses 7 and 8, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient or profitable for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will reprove. The word reprove means to convince or convict. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, there's only one other place in the Bible where this word, uh, well, I guess I should uh, back up a little bit. This Greek word, that's translated comforter in the, in the King James is literally the word paraclete or a paracletos. And, uh, and it, it has a variety of meanings, 
but there's nothing that you can really identify or nail down or, or say, here's the one all-inclusive definition for the word. Uh, most, uh, most commentaries and most uh, scholars will, will take the scriptures that we just read, these four different passages that we just read, and see what Jesus says about the Holy Ghost and then tr- try to combine that into a definition. In other words, they, kind of, they work backwards. What Jesus said about him, they'll say that's who he is. But it's, um, it's interesting because John, the only other place, I should say this, these four uh, scriptures that we just read, John 14, verse 16, John 14, verse 26, John 15, verse 26, and John 16, verse 7. Those are four of the five places where this word paraclete is used. The other is in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. And it's translated, uh, instead of translated comforter, it's translated advocate. And it's talking about Jesus. If any man sin, we have an advocate of the Father, the, the one Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about this is, of the different writers in the New Testament, John is the only one that uses this word. He's the only one. He used it three times in the Gospels, in these three chapters in the, in the Gospel that he wrote. And then he uses it one time in the letters that he wrote to the church, the first letter that he wrote to the church. Now, I, I, I trust that you know some of these things, and uh, if you do, forgive me for, for uh, laboring over uh, minutiae, but the Gospel of John, everybody agrees that the Gospel of John was written much, 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 much later than any of the other Gospels. And it's almost like John took the other Gospels that were widely circulated, widely known. John lived to, to be a, an old man on the Isle of Patmos. They tried to kill him. Uh, church tradition, church history tells us that they tried to boil him and all, and that didn't work. So they finally just shipped him off somewhere where they didn't have to deal with him. And when he was on the island of Patmos, that's where he got the revelation. That's where we, uh, he received what we know of as the book of Revelation, talking about end time events and, and uh, tribulation things and, and so forth. John talks more about love than any other thing. He talks more about love, focuses more on love than any of the other disciples, any of the other writers. And John is the one that takes these other gospels, apparently, now, this, is, this may be some speculation, but you, you judge it for yourself. The gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke were widely known. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. Mark is John Mark that was uh, Paul's, uh, I'm sorry, Barnabas' nephew, a minister that, uh, that came to know Jesus and came to know the things of God after Jesus' death and resurrection. Luke was one of Paul's company, the same writer of the book of Acts. He was not one of the twelve. He wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. And so at the point in time that before Paul, before John writes his gospel, you got three gospels and only one eyewitness. So Mark and Luke are both operating on second-hand information. John seems to come in after the fact and fill in the blanks. He tells us things about Jesus' ministry that none of the others do. John was the one that, uh, that's identified as the one that Jesus loved. By the way, John is the one that identifies himself that way. John's the one that tells us about the rub between him and Peter. And you remember that Jesus said to John, he told Peter about, you know, when Peter, when you're old, people are going to carry you around and take you to places you don't want to go. And then Peter turns around and says, well, what about him? Now, John was a teenager. All the information and evidence that we have is that John was a teenager during the time that Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, probably 17, maybe 18 years old. And since he was one of the younger ones, he was tender to, as far as uh, Jesus' heart was concerned, he was taking him. He was a little bit gentler with him than he was some of the others. He, he kind of 
you know, kept him under his wing, brought him along a little bit easier than some of the other folks, uh, some of the other disciples who, who we would have no reason to think that they weren't already full-grown, mature. And then John's the one that he gives charge of his keeping his mother to when he's on the cross. One of the reasons for that had to do with John's age. It would make sense that Jesus would uh, provide for his mother or, or take steps to provide for his mother for, for the long term rather than giving him over to one of the old guys that, um, that, that some, uh, some say, some speculate, we don't really know, but some speculate that some of the disciples were as old as Jesus' mother was herself. So John's kind of an interesting character. And John is the one, the only one, that uses this word. Now, this word is not well known. It's, it, it's, it's not like John made up the word uh, as, uh, as Paul did when he was talking about ministry gifts. But John uses a very, very obscure word in the Greek language. Very, very obscure. The only times in, uh, in the language of the day that it was used, it was just used simply as helper. If you had an assistant, they were a helper. And that's the word that he uses but because it was so uncommon and because it's so all-inclusive as far as Jesus' description of what the Holy Ghost would do, it causes us to, to, uh, uh, to take special notice of it, or at least we need to take special notice of it. Now, if you've got an Amplified Bible... This word, comforter, is expanded. It gives six different other names. And all of these names are absolutely correct. The Amplified Bible is interesting because the Amplified Bible is a translation. It is, uh, it is a literal translation that's kind of a mini-commentary. It's not like the Message Bible. It's not like the Living Bible. It's not like some of the other paraphrases. It's a literal translation that just expands on certain words and certain meanings. It's kind of like a literal translation with a commentary included. So the, the Amplified is, is really very reliable. It's not, uh, um, you wouldn't want the Amplified Bible as the only thing that you read, but if you're reading it along with another, another literal translation, you're in, you're in good shape with the, with the Amplified. And so the Amplified brings out uh, six different other names with comforter. It puts it in parentheses, but it uh, identifies these other names. First comforter, second counselor, third helper, fourth intercessor, fifth advocate, Sixth, strengthener, and seventh, standby. Now, if you went to Webster's Dictionary and looked up these, the meanings of these words, it would give you something like this. A comforter is a consoler. When you're sad or when you uh, need consoling about something, if something didn't go your way, then the person that provides that consolation is the comforter. Well, that's, one of, that's a legitimate meaning for this word paraclete. The second uh, uh, name that it gives him is counselor. Well, a counselor is an advisor. Well, we know the Holy Ghost guides you, so that would be accurate. Jesus said that would be one of the works of the Holy Ghost. The third word is helper. That's the way that it was most commonly used in the, uh, the other writings of the day. It just simply means an assistant. Next, it says intercessor. An intercessor is not some spiritual term that most people think it to be. It doesn't always mean praying. It doesn't always mean the act of prayer or somebody that is in the process of praying. It just simply means a negotiator between two parties. That's what an intercessor is, somebody that deals with both parties to bring them together in some way or another, whether it's a business deal, whether it's a, uh, a casual acquaintance, somebody that introduces two people, someone that knows both people that they don't know each other and introduces them, that's an intercessor. It brings two people together, negotiates in between two people to bring them together. The fifth uh, name that it gives them is advocate. That's one who pleads a cause. We would think of that as in a courtroom situation, but it's, it's much bigger than that. Uh, the... Uh, uh, the, the meaning behind advocate is somebody that's in trouble with the law to such a degree that they have no clue how to get out of this. 
And an advocate is somebody that's familiar with the law and comes and steps in their place. Sixth is the word strengthener. Obviously, that's somebody that gives strength to someone that doesn't have it. And seventh, the seventh word that is used is standby, someone to be relied on. I'm going to read to you a little bit from, uh, uh, from a couple of different sources. The first is uh, uh, the reference book, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. Theology, excuse me. It's by Guy Duffield and Nathaniel Van Cleef. And they said this. I'm just picking and choosing certain things uh, about this, uh, uh, this word paraclete and, uh, and what they said about the work of the Holy Ghost. They said this. They said this word another, and they're referring to John chapter, six, uh, John chapter 14, excuse me, verse 16. He said, and I will pray the Father and give you another comforter, another comforter that he may abide with you forever. They say this about that. This word another is the clue to the meaning of the word comforter. The word used here means another of the same kind, just as Jesus had been to his disciples. We think of a comforter as one who consoles us in the time of sorrow. That's the literal, trend, or the literal definition of the word. But the Spirit does not console us in our sorrow, but rather gives strength and victory over our sorrows. We understand that an advocate is one who represents another or pleads the cause of another. Romans 8.26 says this. Likewise, the Holy Ghost or shows, us the, shows us this principle in action. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He's talking about speaking in other tongues, giving us a language to speak that goes beyond our natural understanding. We understand that an advocate is one who represents another or pleads the cause of another. The Son and the Spirit are both advocates of our cause and intercessors for us. The Spirit intercedes from within us while the Son intercedes at the throne of grace. A lot of times people look at that verse of Scripture where it says Jesus is uh, 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 interceding at the right hand of the Father, and they think that means He's praying. Well, folks, if He's praying, then that means the work's not finished and He shouldn't have sat down. But the fact that it says that He's seated at the right hand of God just simply means He's taken a position between us and God as the eternal proof that we are joined together. In other words, He introduced us to God by His blood, and when we accepted his, his sacrifice, then he's the proof that we are eternally saved. He goes further and he says, uh, Dr. Duffield says this, he says, closely akin to the above meaning is that of helper. The most literal meaning of paraclete is one called to another side to help. There is yet another meaning of the word paraclete. The verb form from which paraclete comes means to beseech or to exhort. It is used in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You remember um, uh, Paul said in Romans 12, 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual worship, most translations say. He's beseeching. In other words, he's in exhorting, he's encouraging people by the mercy of God to do something with their bodies. He says the Spirit not only comforts, encourages, intercedes, and helps, but he also entreats, exhorts, and beseeches. Now, I want you to understand this, folks. This is the thing that, that I think most people miss when it comes to the work of the Holy Ghost. He is a persuader. Without the persuasion of the Holy Spirit, no preaching could succeed, nor could sound doctrine long endure uncorrupted. Remember, John is the one that said that uh, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. You need not that another man teach you because the Holy Ghost on the inside of you teaches you. That's what he's talking about. Now, Barclay's uh, comment, uh, commentary says something interesting, too. Barclay says that uh, the word paraclete comes from a, a, a verb, uh, paraclean, 
I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. But he said this. He said, at its most general, paraclete means to call in, to summon. So a man is said to call in an, an ally, to call in a counselor to give advice, to call in an advocate to plead a case in the law courts. Now get this. It's also used of calling upon a man to undertake a public duty, such as the work of a, I don't know how you say this, Jimna Search, I guess, I don't know. His duty, this person's duty, was to maintain and train a team at his own expense to run in the torch race. Now, in the Greek games, you remember, they, it was a lot like the Olympics nowadays. They started off with this race where people would run with the torch. Well, this guy that he's talking about, the duty of this gymnast arch, or whatever his name is, is he took upon himself the work of preparing, training, and maintaining those that would run the race. Now, think about how many times Paul talks about running the race. Talks about the Christian walk, our Christian life as being running a race. If Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews, he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Seeing then that we are encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and, and sin which does so easily beset us, uh, every sin and weight which does so easily beset us, and run the race with patience that is set before us. He's talking about the Christian life. Paul said that about himself. He said, I finished my course. He said in other places, he said, I train in the Christian life just like an athlete would train. He said, I do it with singleness of purpose. He said, I don't, I'm not somebody that's just fighting at the air. I'm not somebody that's shadow boxing. I know what my purpose is and I train accordingly. That's what he says. That's what Barclay brings out about this Greek word paraclete. He's saying this is one of the works of the Holy Ghost to train you for the race. Well, Jesus said he'd teach you all things. Finally, he concludes with this. He says, therefore, at its widest, a paraclete is a person who is called in to help in a situation with which a man by himself cannot cope. Now turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's talking to the church and I want you to notice verse 16. He said, In what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You, for you, are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now notice what the Bible is saying. Notice what Paul is saying about the Holy Ghost. He's saying you're the temple of the living God. Now remember the Holy Ghost is a person of the Godhead. He's a part of the Trinity. I know that's simple. Duh. Everybody understands that. But think about what that means. Jesus is telling His disciples, those that He has provided for in every manner. These guys left their business to be with Jesus. That means Jesus is responsible for their well-being. So He's not only feeding the multitudes, He's having to make sure that His own disciples are taken care of. And they never went without. Jesus is answering every question that they've got. He's teaching them, not only displaying for them the goodness of God and the healing power of God and miracles and different things like that, He's teaching them how to do it too. You remember when they couldn't cast the devil out of the, uh, the young boy that was possessed uh, in Mark chapter 9, they came to Jesus and they had a question. They asked Him the question, why couldn't we do this? Well, He's already given them power to cast out devils, authority over all devils and to heal sickness and disease. And so they come to Jesus and say, why couldn't we do this? If they were not used to doing it, that would not have been their question. If it had never happened before, then they would have said, well, it didn't work again. 
But they said, why couldn't we do this? Indicating or implying at least that they were accustomed to using that power effectively, using that authority effectively. And as a result, they turn around to Jesus and say, Jesus, we don't get it. Why didn't it work? And then Jesus answers the question. Jesus has been responsible for everything in their lives for the last three years. Everything in their lives. Yet Jesus says to them, I'm going to give you another comforter and it's better for you that I go away. It's expedient. It's better for you that I go away. Now, folks, let me ask you this. And, 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 and this is really the bottom line. How seriously do we take the fact that the great I am lives in you? We kind of boil it down to, well, yeah, Jesus lives in our heart. That's not what Jesus said it was going to be. He didn't say one word about, now, when I go away, I'm coming back to live inside of your heart. He didn't say any of that. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, when he is raised from the dead and he appears to his disciples, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Ghost. Salvation, Jesus living in your heart, is by the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, God never, never um, violates his principle in the way that he works. You can find from the scriptures that, the, that the, the three persons of the Godhead, the three persons of the Trinity, have a specific purpose. God's the planner. Jesus is the one that comes to the earth to be God's representative. In other words, he carries out the plan, but the way that the plan is carried out is by the Holy Ghost, always. So when Jesus comes to the earth, he lays aside his heavenly power and glory, the Bible says, then he identifies that the Father in him is the one that's doing the work. But how does God in him doing the work? By the Holy Ghost. So think about what Jesus is now telling his disciples. He's saying it's better for you to have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you than to do the things that we've been doing for the last three years. Now that's exactly opposite the way most people want to be led by God. Most people want to feel something on the outside. Most people want to, want to see the things happen in the physical without, any, without even giving a second thought to what's going on on the inside. Jesus is very, very, very specifically identifying from now on things are going to work from the inside out, not from the outside in. And it's better for you that way. Most people would disagree even today. Most people want it to work from the outside in. And that's why you get so many people that are baffled by the subject or, or the, the principles of faith. Well, how can it be true? How can I believe God that I'm healed when my body's still sick? Easy, because things now work from the inside out. You've got to believe from the inside to see the change on the outside. That's not the way it was in Jesus' day. That's not the way it was in the Old Testament. The people that were used in the Old Testament were used by God from the outside in. There was no change that took place or occurred on the inside of them. They couldn't be born again. Their spirits couldn't be made new. So anybody that was anointed of God in the Old Testament, it came from the outside. Had to. Holy Ghost couldn't indwell them. Now think about what happened in the Old Testament. Look at what the prophets did in the Old Testament. They turned the sun back from the outside in. They caused the sun and the moon to stop still, dead still, for a day and a half from the outside in. They raised the dead. They healed the sick. They caused axe heads to float. They, they, they absolutely defied the laws of physics from the outside in. They caused poison water to be made pure by just simply throwing a stick into the water. Folks, there is no stick that will do that. That had to be supernatural. How did all these things take place? Always from the outside in. Always. 
And that's how it worked in Jesus' day through the disciples. Now, not with Jesus. It worked from the inside out. But it worked in the disciples from the outside in. And then Jesus tells them. And it's, it, it, it's, if you stop and think about, put yourself in their position, what in the world would they have thought when Jesus said, okay, I'm going away? You're, you're what? What do you mean you're going away? Yeah, I've got to go away. And it's, it's, it's good for you. It's better for you that I go away. Jesus, there's no way it could be better for me that you go away. What do you mean? These last three years have been great. Yeah, okay, there's been some persecution, but we always come out on top. Jesus says, if I don't go away, then this comforter can't come. And you need the comforter more than you need to be with me. Now think about how most Christians look at it. Most Christians have the idea that, boy, wouldn't it have been great to live at the time that Jesus was here on the earth? Jesus said it's better for you now. Why? Because Jesus was the Son of God operating by the Holy Ghost when they were here together. But the great I Am couldn't be on the inside of them. What did Jesus do? What were the things that Jesus did and said He did by the work of the Holy Spirit? He healed the sick. He defied the laws of nature by walking on the water. He multiplied loaves and fishes. Somebody figure that out for me from a, from a law of physics standpoint. How does that work? I mean, what does that really mean? Does that mean cells multiplied? Does that mean cells were created? You can't see Jesus. There's no record where Jesus prayed and said, okay, now I command that this stuff happen. He just blessed the food. He said, Father, I thank you for the food. And started breaking it up and just multiplied. How? Somebody give me the scientific theory on how the loaves and fishes multiply. He turned water into wine. How did he do that? Well, he said he did it by the power of the Holy Ghost. That means water cells, water molecules turned into wine molecules. Now, folks, wine is water and fermented juice. So that means the transfer, the change from water to wine means something was added. Where did it come from? You know, it's so funny because so many times people want to, they want to pray about things and they want to get so detailed about stuff and it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got this medical diagnosis and so I want to believe for this and then I want to believe for this part of my body to change and I want to believe for the blood and then I want to believe for the nerves and I want to believe for the other thing. You can't see Jesus doing any of that kind of stuff. When Jesus tells the disciples, go take water, or tells the servant at the wedding feast of Cana, he just says, go bear water, take the, the water pots and go take it to the, to the, uh, the ruler of the, the wedding, the person in charge. Now, the water pots are the, is the water that people are washing their feet with. And this guy has to be operating in faith in some degree. He's taking the washing water to the priest or to the, to the, the, the ruler of the, the wedding, the guy that's in charge. And somehow it changes in the process. You don't see Jesus agonizing over, okay, now, this water, we got to, all right, let me, uh, Father, add some alcohol to this. And then you got to put some grape flavor in there too, you know, with the, to make it wine-like. He didn't bother with that kind of stuff. He didn't do that with the loaves and fishes. He just prayed according to the things that he needed and his helper, the one that he's anointed with, his assistant took care of everything that needed to be done to accomplish his will. Jesus calmed a storm. How? By the power of the Spirit, by the Comforter. 
Everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the comforter. And he said, that's the one I'm giving to you. That's the one I'm giving to you. Now think about why this is important. Number one, you've got the great I am on the inside of you. Think about all the things that the Bible says that are uh, available to you that seem to be impossible. He said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He said, there's nothing that you can call for or require in my name that I won't do. Whatever you call for or require in my name, he said in John chapter 14, he said, that will I do. He said, he didn't put any limits on that, folks. That's why the Bible says about faith, it says, whatsoever you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, you will have what you say. Why? Because you got the comforter on the inside of you. Jesus told his disciples, he said, when you're called before people to give an answer, don't bother about what you're going to say. The Holy Ghost will give you the words at the time. I don't think we pay attention to the fact that the comforter lives on the inside. Or if we do, we just think, yeah, well, the Holy Ghost is there, but we don't recognize what the comforter does. He said, not, Jesus said, nothing would be impossible to you. Man, that's some kind of assistant. You know this, uh, uh, where Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 13, He said, whatsoever you call for or require in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The King James, the English translation is really weak on that. Because from the Greek, it literally means, if I don't have it, I'll make it. He's talking about a creation process. If something doesn't exist, I will create it for you. That's how, that's how absolute the use of His name is. And that's why Jesus said it was important that He goes away. Because without that, we wouldn't have the comforter, the helper, the, the, the counselor, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby. We wouldn't have that great I am on the inside of us to produce the results. Think about what Paul said by the Holy Ghost. He refers to a promise that God made. He said, I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them. That's God living on the inside of you. That's the great I am, the greater one, living on the inside of you. We wonder whether or not God's big enough to pay our rent. The Holy Ghost with men who are operating just by the direction of God, just because God wanted something done, men in the Old Testament that didn't have half of what we have, didn't have even a, a fraction of what we have. Remember what Jesus talking about John the Baptist? He said, John the Baptist was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist never did a miracle. He must have been great because of his message. He was the forerunner of Jesus. That's the only thing that would make John greater than anybody else. Yet Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. In other words, the, le the least person, you may feel like you're less than anybody else in the body of Christ. If the, if the church is like the body put, is put together, you may feel like the curled up and yellow toenail. Yet the Bible says that the least in the body of Christ is greater than John the Baptist, is greater than any of the Old Testament prophets. Why? How could that possibly tr be true if he's not talking about the comforter on the inside? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Not lesser, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. No wonder Jesus said nothing shall be impossible to him that believes. Why? You've got the comforter on the inside. You've got the creator of the universe living in the, on the inside of you. You've got the great I am 
there at your right hand to assist you in anything that needs to be done. One of the, the, the my favorite word of the, the, the seven, comforter, counselor, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, whatever the other ones I left out. My favorite is standby. Because you know what that means? That means the Holy Ghost, the comforter, is always standing by for whatever you have need of. Always. He's never late. He's never short of power. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Think of it. Okay, think of it this way. I hate to say it this way, but sometimes you have to just to get the point across. If that were really true, think how that would change your life. Think how that would change whether or not you're concerned about what people think. Think how that would change your attitude toward your economic situation. Think how that would change your attitude towards your physical situation. Maybe you've got a diagnosis from the doctor. Something's not good. Something's not right. How would that change you if that were really true? Greater is He that's in you than anything that you're going to face in this world. If it were really true that the Holy Ghost was there to be your helper, not the one that do it for you, but your helper. Again, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities to take hold together with us against something. It's telling us that just as Jesus was our helper, just as Jesus was the helper to the disciples when they were here on the earth to do anything that that God directed them to do, the Holy Ghost is your helper. He takes hold together with you against whatever you face. Now, that means you have to take hold too. He doesn't just do it. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could just sit back and say, okay, Holy Ghost, just go do the work. If that were the case, you wouldn't have to send missionaries into the world to get people saved. The Holy Ghost could just do it. No, He helps you. So you and I have to take hold with Him. We take hold with Him by taking hold of the Word because He is the Spirit of truth. So when we take hold of the Word, He's right there to help us, to see it through. When the devil comes and tells you it's not going to work, your faith is not strong enough, it's too late, whatever it is He tells you, do you realize how impossible that is if we recognize and rely on the Helper? That's what standby really means. One who can be relied upon. Is he reliable? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can't find any scripture anywhere in the New Testament. You can't find anything even close to God saying, I know it's going to be tough and just try to hang on. Never. But you find a lot of people in desperate last moment situations where Jesus comes on the scene and says, don't be afraid. Why? Because He's there. The Holy Ghost will abide with you forever. You're never without Him. The great I Am, the Creator of the universe, is dwelling on the inside of you. What's He doing? I think with a lot of Christians, He's just taking up space. Just hitchhiking through life. That's not the plan. You're the temple of the living God. Well, God just seems so far away. The Bible says He's dwelling in you. Well, it just doesn't seem like God will be, God's with me, that God really cares about my situation. He says you'll be His people and He'll be your God. He's right there with you wherever you go. He says I'll walk in them. 
Well, where's God going to go? Wherever you go. He's dwelling on the inside of you. I sure hope this is sinking in. Because you're not showing it. I just have to accept by faith that something good is happening here. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What are you facing that's too big for the Holy Ghost? What do any of us face? Even the things that are going on in the world. It looks like the world's coming apart at the seams. Is that too big for the Holy Ghost to get us through? You've got a comforter. Not somebody to console you in your sorrows, but give you victory over your sorrows. To strengthen you. Yeah, but I just feel so weak. That's why he's a strengthener. I just feel so helpless. That's why he's a helper. Yeah, I just don't feel like anybody cares in my situation, though. That's why he's an advocate. He pleads your cause. Do you realize that every time you take hold of the Word, every scripture you take hold of, whether it's for healing, whether it's financial well-being, whether it's anything, whatever the subject is, every time you take hold of the scripture, you're taking hold of the other end of the, of the, the same thing the Holy Ghost has got hold of? It'd be like if we wanted to carry something, if we were picking up something that was big and something that was heavy. The Holy Ghost has already got His side. He's already holding up His end. He's just waiting for you to take hold of yours. And He said it even, Jesus said it even works to move mountains. You can take hold of a side of a mountain knowing the Holy Ghost has got your back. Don't have to worry about Him doing His part. That's why, in my opinion, that's why the devil works so hard to try to make you turn loose of faith. Because if he can get you to drop your side, the Holy Ghost can't move it, do it by himself. His job is not to do it. His job is to help you do it. That's why the, the, the devil works so hard trying to make you think things that are not true. That you're going to make it. You're going to go down. How can you go down if you're holding on with the Holy Ghost? How is that possible? How is that possible? It's not. Greater is he that's in you. Greater is he that's in you. The Bible says over and over and over again, Time and time again, it speaks of absolutes. It speaks of things that cannot help but come to pass if you'll just simply take hold of the Word. Jesus said, or, uh, Paul said, that you're more than conqueror. Why? Because the comforter is with you. He said, nothing shall be impossible to you. Why? Because you've got the comforter on the inside. He said, you'll have whatsoever you say. Why? Because the Holy Ghost makes good on your words. Paul said this too. He said, if God be for me, who can be against me? How was God for him? He's got the comfort on the inside. Brother Hagin used to say that whenever he quote that from Romans chapter 8, he'd always say it this way. He said, if God be for me, who cares who's against me? And I will pray the Father and He'll give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Folks, at the time that Jesus said that, the only place the Holy Ghost lived was in the temple, the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, or actually on the cross, when He declared it is finished, the Bible tells us that there was a great earthquake and that the temple, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, the outer court of the temple. 
it says that uh, Josephus, the, the historian, tells us something about that curtain. He said it was 20 feet wide, it was 20 feet tall, and it was uh, a foot thick. And that curtain tore, the Bible says, from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. See, if you could find something strong enough to, to pull the thing apart from the bottom, pull it apart, man could only reach it from the bottom and it would tear on the way up. But apparently God just reached down in some way or another, maybe an angel or whatever, and ripped that thing in two. And at that moment and from that point in time forward, men could look into the Holy of Holies, which you couldn't do before. That was where the presence of God was. And nobody went in there except the high priest and him only under great precautions and only one day of the year. Only time he could go in there. And he had to, man, he had to wash himself in a certain way. He had to clean his clothes in just the right way. Uh, there were all kinds of things that he had to do just right or else he'd fall dead in the presence of God. But from the time that Jesus died on the cross and that curtain was torn from top to bottom, then everybody could look in there. Anybody that went into the temple could peer into what was there. Why? Because the Holy Ghost moved out. Why did he move out? Because he's getting ready to move into you. And as soon as Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples and said, receive the Holy Ghost, from that point forward, the Holy Ghost has been living inside men. The same power that stopped the sun. Same power that turned the sun backwards. Same power that caused Jesus to walk on water. Multiplied loaves and fishes, turned water into wine. Same power that healed the sick and raised the dead. Same power that did miracles in the Old Testament, did miracles in the New Testament. That's the power that lives on the inside of you. Boy, I wish that would dawn on us. I wish that would dawn on us. If it would, boy, we'd, our problems would be done. We would realize, yeah, this may be a, a, a fight of faith. This may be something we have to hold on to and keep believing God for but I can't help but make it over on top because I've got the greater one on the inside of me. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Well, let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the greater one living on the inside of us. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the greater one. Thank you that we are more than conquerors because of the one that lives on the inside of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making the way. Thank you for sending the comforter to us. Thank you that nothing is impossible to us now because of the one that lives on the inside. Oh, Holy Spirit, forgive us for failing to recognize your goodness, your power, and your mercy that's available to each and every one of us all the time, full time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for seeing us through. Thank you for putting us over. Thank you for healing. Thank you for provision. Thank you for peace. Thank you for restoration, Lord. Holy Spirit, we take hold together with you by taking hold of your word, by confessing your word, by confessing that which the Bible says belongs to us. We take hold together with you. We thank you for making it come to pass, for seeing it through. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen, amen.